welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. Good to see you, everybody. It's a come-as-you-are morning, right? So we can all just relax. We'll just have a little conversation together. Yeah? Just have a little conversation between us and the Lord. How about that? And talk about his love for us. So uh, lately, I've kind of, I've always wanted to learn how to play chess, but never taken the time to learn how to play chess. And, you know, beyond the just basic how the pieces move kind of level of chess. And I've discovered two things. Number one, chess is really hard, in case you haven't noticed that. It's, chess is very difficult. And the other thing I'm learning is the best offense, the best defense is a really good offense. And, you know, I notice with the Lord that that's pretty much how he plays the game. Jesus is really in it for keeps. And his love is very aggressive, right? In fact, the fact that each one of us are here this morning demonstrates his aggressive nature when it comes to the love he has for our soul. Is it not? I mean, would any of us be here if, if, if God was like the deists believed, which is, you know, a God who just sort of wound up the universe and then let it go off on its own and just passively sitting back and watching and waiting to see what happens? If, if God was that way, would any of us be here this morning? I think not. I think the fact that we hear, we, each of us are here is a testimony to the fact that he is passionately in love with us, right? To the point of going to the cross for our, for our sakes. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to talk a little bit about his covenant with us. Covenant is one of those big theological terms that, you know, can carry all kinds of doctrinal weight. But really simply, I mean, we all understand covenant really well. We use all kinds of covenants in our life. Our marriage is a covenant. Is it not? not? It's an agreement. It's a commitment. It's a promise, right? Covenant is, is a promise. And God is very aggressive, very passionate about his promises to us. And it takes a really particular kind of form that we through, see throughout Scripture. And we're going to start this morning by look at, looking at one of the early examples of it. Not the earliest, by the way, but one of the earlier examples of it. It's in Genesis 15:7, And this is a really interesting interaction that God has with Abraham. Uh, if you want to turn there, Genesis 15, starting in verse 7. And I'll just read a couple paragraphs here. It says, and he said to him, meaning the, uh, the Lord, I am the Lord who brought you out from, from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, meaning Abraham, O Lord God, how am I to know that, that I shall possess it? Right? So here's the essential covenant question. God is making a promise to Abraham. He's telling Abraham, look, I'm going to give you all this land that you're seeing, and that's my promise to you. I'm promising it to you. And, and Abraham is basically saying, well, Lord, how do I know you're going to keep my promise? What do I base my faith on? What do we base our faith on? How do we know, Jesus, that you're going to keep your promise? 
to deliver us holy and perfect before the Father into eternity as, as priests in his kingdom. How do we know that he'll keep that promise? Here's God's answer to Abraham. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Okay, so this is a strange picture, right? Not something we're used to seeing. Abraham says, well, Lord, how do I know you're going to keep your promise? And God says, okay, bring me, you know, these three of each of these animals. Cut them right down the middle. Put one half of the animal over here and one half of the animal over here. It's interesting, one of the most common words or, or one of the common words in the Old Testament that's translated as covenant is the Hebrew word for cut. It literally means, uh, the, the, that word covenant really literally means to cut a promise, to cut an agreement. Okay, so God is, God is saying, cut these animals in half, set them on either side. So this has a lot of cultural historical context that this is happening in. This is actually a very common way to express a covenant in the near ancient Near East. And typically what would happen is there's two parties that want to make an agreement together, want to make a mutual promise to each other. What they would do is they would get together with their tribes or their community or their village, whatever, and they would get some animals. They would sacrifice those animals by cutting them right in half, put them on either side, and then both parties would make this sort of macabre procession down in between and walk between both halves of the animals, meet there in front of these you know, sliced up animals and, and consummate their, their agreement, their promise. And oftentimes they would make an exchange. They would exchange their belt. They might exchange their, their money bag, exchange their sandals, exchange weapons. And what they're saying is, hey, we're in this together. We're committed to this promise together. And what happens to me happens to you. And what happens to you happens to me. Your enemies are now my enemies. My enemies are now your enemies. We are blood brothers, right? We've heard that term before, right? And this is where this comes from. So God is, is giving Abraham this vision of this commonly understood form of making a covenant promise uh, but there's a, there's a wrinkle to this that's a little bit different. Uh, so let's continue reading. Verse 12 says, And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. That's an indication of the presence of the Lord, okay? Then the Lord said to him, Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your father and fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So, God is saying, look, Abraham, you can trust and believe my promise to you. And to be clear, I'm going to add to my promise. I'm going to be very, give you more details on what this promise means. This promise means 
that there's going to be 400 years where your, your nation, the nation that I've promised that's coming from you, is going to be sojourning in another land. And they're going to be captive in another land for 400 years. And of course, that's exactly what happened, right? They were in Egypt for 400 years. And then they're going to come out of that land with great possession, which is exactly what happened, because God keeps his promises, keeps his covenant agreement with Abraham. And then your descendants are going to possess the promised land, which is exactly what happened. God kept his promise, right? And he's, he's demonstrating and communicating to Abraham in this form of cutting a covenant that Abraham absolutely gets. It's common to him. He understands exactly what all of this means. And just to finish this little segment, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates the land of the Canaanites, the Kenesites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gigashites, and the Jebusites. Try saying that when you're a lightheaded. That, that's a fun one. <laughs> so he's going to give them this land, and he's making this promise. Now notice who makes this sort of strange macabre procession between these animals that he's cut in half. Well, the smoke pot and this flaming torch. Well, what does that mean? Smoke and fire represents who? Represents God, right? Not only does it represent God, but it re represents God when he's in his most sort of aggressive form, right? And when he's, uh, he, we see, smoke and fire and lightning over and over again throughout the book of Revelation, right? Yeah, it has all kinds of implications of judgment, which is, of course, what the Egyptians found out, right? The Egyptians experienced all kinds of God's wrath and judgment as God moved to release them from captivity out of Egypt. So what we see is we see the standard Near East covenantal sort of, of ceremony but what's different is instead of two human beings walking between these two animals, it's God himself. It's God himself who's move, making this passage and this movement between these animals that are split in half. What, why, what, why these animals split in half? What does that mean? What, what are they saying culturally? And what is God saying by having these animals split in half that makes this procession? Jeremiah, Jeremiah makes it very clear, very specifically. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. Uh, chapter 34, 18, Jeremiah says, and Jeremiah is talking about, you know, God's not real happy with the way things are going with his people and how they've been rebelling against him. And he's going to judge that. And Jeremiah says in verse 18, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of, it, of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of land who pass between the parts of the calf. So that's what they mean. What they mean is, hey, you betray covenant with me, you know, my, my neighbor over here, my tribal neighbor that we've formed an alignment with, that we're, we've 
we've signed a treaty with by cutting these animals in half. You betray this covenant, this treaty, that we've, this agreement, this promise that we've made to one another, you wind up like these animals. It's very graphic, right? It's like imagine signing your mortgage agreement, which kind of feels like that, by the way, if you've ever signed a mortgage agreement. It's like a stack of paperwork this tall. And it's like two, you know, and, and they, they bring out a goat, cut it in half, and put one half on one side and the other half on the other. Uh, uh, and, and you're sitting there in the middle signing your mortgage agreement, that would raise the ante, would it not? <laughs> yeah, like if you, if you don't pay as you're agreeing to pay on this agreement, you're going to wind up like this, this calf, right? And that's what God is saying. But what's interesting, again, about this passage in Genesis is God who's making, moving through between the, cat, between the animals. The other interesting thing about this passage, what immediately precedes God making this covenant with Abraham, if you, if you go up to verse, um, well, I'll take it from the beginning of the chapter, verse one, uh, verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Okay, so God is Abraham is childless. They're barren. They haven't had kids. The opportunity to have kids is long past. Lord, what are you going to give me? And the Lord says, I'm going to give you a son. And not only am I going to give you a son, but from your son will be a whole nation. And, and then he makes this covenant with Abraham and makes these promises to Abraham. But catch this. This is a key verse of the Old Testament, right? You can mark it. Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham's response to God's promise, when he makes this promise, he said, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is salvific faith, okay? Abraham didn't have a child. He's past age. God says, no, I'm still gonna, I'm gonna give you a child and, it's, and he's gonna, and he'll, and from him will come this great nation. And Abraham believed him he believed God's promise to him. And because he believed him, and here's the critical part, that everything hangs on, our salvation hangs on this part. Because Abraham believed God, God count, accounted to him righteousness. We are righteous before the living God when we put our faith and hope in Christ. When we say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you are passionate and aggressive to the point of suffering the way you did to redeem my soul. The moment you believe that, you are made righteous in him through the finished work of Christ. And notice it's God who passed between the sacrificial animals does that not foreshadow or hint at its 
that it's God himself who would become the sacrifice, who would become sin in our place, that Jesus himself would become the calf that's split in two and killed for the sake of the promise that God has made and the belief and trust that we have put into that promise. That is the new covenant. Jesus is going to say, and I'm going to read in a moment, this is the blood of the new covenant. What is that new covenant? I am dying. It's no longer a calf, right? It's no longer a sheep. Those were just shadows of the ultimate consummation, the ultimate fulfillment. I am that. I am the ultimate fulfillment. I'm going to read briefly from Hebrews 9.11. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right? For Israel, they had the foreshadowing. Abraham had the foreshadowing of this vision in the dream of God passing between these slain animals. Right? For us, we have the actual fulfillment of that. You know, all of the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrificial system, bringing goats and sheep into the temple and the priest slaying it and, and sprinkling the blood, all of it pointed to the ultimate reality. Those were just patterns. Those were images, illustrations of the actual real event. The actual real event is that Jesus didn't go into a temple made of hands. He didn't go into Solomon's temple and make sacrifice. He went into the temple. Solomon's temple was just a pattern, just an image, a picture of the temple, the real heavenly temple, right? So sacrificing a goat or or a, I shouldn't say goat, a, a calf or a sheep was just a picture of the reality, but not the reality. Jesus is the reality. Jesus entered into the heavenly temple, the real temple, the actual temple, and made eternal sacrifice by dying himself, offering up his own self to death in our place, right? That's what our salvation is based on. That's what Abraham's salvation is based on, is what Jesus, how Jesus would ultimately fulfill that along with, and I don't know how to say this, as response, Abraham believed him. So it's Jesus who does the work. It's Jesus who's playing offense. It's Jesus who passionately goes after us. And depending on how we respond to him, if we respond to him faith, we have his promise, his salvation. If we don't respond to him with faith, we have not, right? We have no thing. We are bereft, cut apart from God, not cut in to God. Amen? So this morning we're going to, in a picturesque way, not not in the real way, 
It's not really Jesus' blood that we're drinking. It's not really his body that we're eating. But it is a picture of the reality that Jesus' blood has consummated the promise of God to us. The real blood of Christ consummated that promise. His real body being torn on the cross consummated God's promise to us. And because of that promise, and because of our response in faith, we have eternal life in him. Is that not a good thing? Is that not a thing worth celebrating and, and worshiping him for? We're gonna, um, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read a few verses as I pray. The worship team is going to come up, and then we're going to have a few verses, and then we're going to pass out the elements, and then we're going to take communion together. So, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much that you have played offense in my life. God, you are not a complacent God. You are not without passion and compassion. Lord, you have aggressively pursued me. You have aggressively pursued each one of us as evidenced by us even being here this morning. Lord, if we believe that, if we believe that you went to the cross for our sake to consummate this promise of yours, that you would redeem us and all of creation through the blood of your son, then we have it. Lord, and if we came here this morning for some other reason, and we're not buying it, we're just not there. Father, I, I, just, I would ask you, actually I'm speaking to to you, if you're in that category, I, I would ask that you just pass on the communion because it, it, it's only meaning to you as your ultimate judgment, frankly, according to Paul. So for you to take communion would just be you creating a picture of your own judgment. So I'd ask you if you, if you, if you haven't put your faith in Christ that you'd refrain. But for those who have, please embrace this communion time without reservation, without hesitation. Even while you were yet a sinner, Jesus came into this world, continued to preach the good news of the gospel as you have been throughout the ages, and not only preach it, but then consummate it, to fulfill it, to, to be that sacrifice for us that we would be redeemed into eternity. Lord, God, we pray, we confess if there's something we have not been wanting to deal with, God, and, you, and we know the Holy Spirit has been knocking on the door of our heart, and we know that it's something that we've got to just get real with you on. Lord, I pray that there, each of us would take this moment to just confess that to you and know, even as we confess it, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all sin, every unrighteousness. Lord God, help us to worship you this, in this moment. Help us to pray, just talk with you, put our hearts before you. Lord, as, as we share in these elements. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us, or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N 
www.thepeopleofgod.church. Thanks for listening.